Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Weak jobs number, but Speaker Pelosi sees stimulus momentum. We've got complete policy analysis. This, again, as President-elect Joe Biden laments the, quote, grim, end quote, November jobs data. Lots to get through. President-elect Joe Biden speaking about the jobs report number and the unemployment rate coming into uh, the unemployment rate coming to 6.7% in November. This as only 245,000 jobs were added. He called it grim. It was grim. It shows an economy that's stalling and uh, remain in the midst of a, we remain in the midst of one of the worst economic and job crises in modern history. Meanwhile, Larry Kudlow, speaking to my colleague Jonathan Farrow earlier today, also thought it was grim. It may have come in uh, a wee bit under expectations, but I don't know what that means. 6.7% unemployment rate is big news. The CBO and others didn't expect single digits until early 2021. So we got the single digits the last couple of months. Joe Biden says it means the need for more stimulus is even more urgent. If Congress and President Trump fail to act by the end of December, 12 million Americans will lose their unemployment benefits they rely on. Merry Christmas. And Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi says that the talks on Capitol Hill are moving in the right direction. We have to have an omnibus, and we're hoping that that will accelerate the discussions on the omnibus. We are going to keep government open. You know, we're not going to have a continuing resolution. We'll take the time we need, and we must get it done. And we must get it done by uh, this before we leave. We cannot leave without it. Joining us now is Justin Sink, Bloomberg White House reporter. Justin, it looks like now the the economic data, the COVID-19 cases, all putting pressure on Republicans and Democrats alike to get to some type of deal, dare I say, within the next week. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. And even uh, we kind of saw from the markets today, which did really well, despite the fact that uh, the jobs number was uh, a big miss, really disappointing uh, kind of across the board. Uh, the fact that the market was doing well is an indication that, that Wall Street at least really thinks that uh, an economic stimulus pa- package is coming. We, we heard some encouraging words out of Democrats today, but we've heard encouraging words throughout this process. And the big X factor, the big open question is whether Mitch McConnell is going to be willing to go forward with a package that's big enough for Democrats and whether Republicans are going to allow that sort of state aid that the Democrats have said they must have as part of the deal. Uh, there were encouraging signs today. There seems to be some sort of movement on it. But, you know, there have been stops and starts for the last few months. And obviously, people have been suffering and, and that has not created the political pressure yet to create the solution. Democrats are saying they're going to keep the House in until they get some sort of stimulus deal. We always know that the holidays create an, an incentive for lawmakers to get something done. So now everybody's got to kind of watch and wait over the next couple of weeks. Let's do the timetable, Justin Sake. You do this so well for us. Just take us through the tick-tock in terms of when specifically we might get text to a legislation and when the first votes could be. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I'll be looking at is on Monday committees are supposed to report back uh, the sort of outline or contours of a broader legislative package. Uh, you know, that that puts us about two weeks before 
uh, an absolute break dead Christmas dead, uh, you know, go home for Christmas um, deadline. They probably would like to get done before that, maybe December 18th at the very latest, although at the end of next week would be, I think, the most ideal for lawmakers. So my bet is that over the next week, we're going to have a better sense of if a deal is coming and if they're able to add the stimulus onto the omnibus, knowing how Congress works, uh, you know, even though we might have broad, broad contours at the beginning of the next week, it probably won't be until the following week where we start seeing votes on packages. Justin Sink is with us. He is a Bloomberg politics reporter, uh, Bloomberg White House reporter, excuse me, Justin. Uh, and, and look, I think Congressman Tom Cole, um, House member from Oklahoma, Republican, Tom Cole, I think he put it. He's saying what everyone's thinking when he says, quote, I think today's job numbers really helped the relief effort because we may disagree about the specifics, but there is no doubt the economy needs help, end quote. I mean, do they are, are you getting the uh, notion from your sources, even in the White House, as they're on their way out the door, literally, Alyssa Farah, um, <laughs> are you noticing that they understand that maybe – the lame duck session, there has to be a $908 billion uh, relief package or something before the end of the year that people cannot wait until after President-elect Biden sworn in. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the, the White House has long said that they think that there should be a bill that President Trump has voiced, at least in the abstract, support for a number much larger than that, and specifically um, the sort of 500 plus billion that that it was pushed forward by Mitch McConnell. But I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I think we have to divorce what Donald Trump would say from what Donald Trump's aides like Mark Meadows, who is a big person, you know, in this back and forth and a Freedom Caucus member and a fiscal conservative uh, believe. And the motivation for Donald Trump is also not there in the same way that it was before Election Day. Before Election Day, delivering a huge stimulus is something that he could brag about on the campaign trail. Now that he's lost, there's just not the same motivation from the White House, and we see them just not engaged in the talks in the same way. And so I don't want to be too cynical about this. I think there are a lot of Republicans who want to get something done, especially Republicans who are going to face constituents in re-election down the road. But I'm not sure that the Republicans in the White House or Mitch McConnell, who is a master of using leverage and knows that um, if Joe Biden faces an economic crisis when he comes in, that's going to be a huge thing for him to wrangle with, is quite ready to get up to that $900, $900 billion, um, level yet. And that's going to be the real development over the next couple of weeks is, is how much this job report impacts them and how much Republicans are willing to, to move up to a range where Democrats are going to be able to swallow a deal. Justin Sink, pivoting now to Georgia, President Trump in Georgia, campaigning in Georgia. What are you hearing from your sources? Yeah, so President Trump heads there tomorrow. Uh, Vice President Pence is there today. You know, this is obviously control of the Senate swings on Georgia. It's a bit of a home field advantage for Republicans who have long sort of dominated politics in the state, with the exception, of course, of in November, where Donald Trump wasn't able to win the state. Without him on the top of the ticket, with him having had kind of a, a step-back role in this in this cycle, the two incumbent Republican senators are definitely the favorites. But the real question, the X factor, right, is that President Trump has questioned the legitimacy of the, the Georgia elections. He's, uh, you know, accused, he's made these accusations uh, sort of unfounded or, or not rooted in, in facts that we're aware of, uh, that, that there's a widespread conspiracy. And if you're a loyal Trump voter rather than a loyal Republican voter, you might look at this and say, well, why would I go out and, and vote in an election again that's rigged? And so Republicans in the state are, are trying to get the, the president to sort of moderate his, his statements uh, and, and figure out a way that he can say we need to protect the, the Republican majority. But, you know, the president's been clashing with the governor there. He has been criticizing state officials who, who administer the elections. And so it's kind of a, a bit of a mess that the president's wading into when he goes down there tomorrow. Does he want to run in 2024? Is that I mean, because that's the impetus for him to go down there is to is to win Georgia and then say, see that I delivered a, a Republican majority and gains in the House. Uh, and, and even though I lost the presidency. Yeah, I think even if he 
in his heart of hearts, doesn't want to run in 2024. He certainly wants to remain extremely relevant in the Republican Party. Whatever his next step is going to be, I can't imagine Donald Trump's going to quietly retire to to Mar-a-Lago and we don't hear from him again. And so this is a way to sort of burnish his legacy, especially coming off the presidential loss and say, hey, I am still a powerful force in the Republican Party. Should the Eagles get rid of, bench, trade Carson Wentz? I don't think we can with the contract. So as, as frustrating as this year has been, I think there's a lot of problems with the Eagles. And, uh, quickly, quickly, quickly. One. Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz? Who should start? Hurts uh, has to start right now. That's, that's okay, good. Yes. Justin Sink, that's why he's the best. Justin Sink, I'm Kevin Surly. Much more coming up next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. A disappointing jobs report, disappointing 6.7% unemployment. Uh, Only about 245,000 jobs added to the U.S. economy. This, according to uh, the government officials that released their annual or their monthly jobs data report uh, earlier today. Joe Biden's talking about it. The president-elect calling it grim. Speaker Pelosi uh, saying that this is only going to urge some more need for there to be some fiscal stimulus. Then I look into my Bloomberg terminal. Claire Ballantyne's reporting with Lou Wang on the Bloomberg terminal. And stock rally reaches new highs. U.S. stocks climbed to all-time highs, and Treasury yields jumped after a report showing U.S. employment gains slowed in November, bolstered expectations for more federal stimulus. All major indexes for U.S. equities, the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the Russell 2000, and the NASDAQ Composite Index closed... At record highs, such synchronized highs were last seen in January 2018. The dollar posted its biggest weekly decline in five, while the yield on the 10-year Treasury note reached the highest in nine months. Claire's on the line. Claire, what happened in the markets today? Why are they so optimistic when the news just seems so grim? It's pretty remarkable. The story of the market this year has just been its resiliency, and uh, it's incredibly impressive that the market is just able to look through such negative news. Uh, The story that we're hearing is people are looking forward towards the end of the pandemic. Um, Obviously, we have so much positive vaccine news, and people are really optimistic that things are going to be a lot different six months from now. And the market is sort of trading on that. Uh, even today, when we had unemployment or employment gains slowing down, that just sort of, to market watchers, bolstered expectations that we are going to get more help from the federal government in a stimulus package. So it's the market is just focusing on the, the positive skies ahead. Claire, you know, you mentioned the vaccination front and the vaccine news. Yesterday, we saw some of the negative impact that some of the supply chain news reports uh, regarding the vaccine rollout were having on the markets. What turns it around today? Yeah, I think that was sort of a, a blip. Um, and I think it shows just how important the vaccine news is to, to investors. Um, I think today, you know, people 
traders came in with a bit of a clearer head, and there are so many positive forces right now that, that people um, see from markets, whether it's the vaccine news, it's the support from the Federal Reserve, it's expectations of fiscal stimulus, and all of that, you know, sort of is pushing the market higher. December usually is typically a stronger month for equity. So I think all those forces are combining for sort of this, you know, year-end rally continuing. When you look more in my neck of the woods, which is Washington, D.C., and and you've got President-elect Joe Biden announcing the team that he's assembling in the administration, the Janet Yellens, the Tony... the, the Tony Blinkens, uh, the, the Wally Adeyemos of the world, all joining forces to put together Biden's Washington and uh, Congress sort of recalibrating too, whether it's uh, Kellyanne Conway making some public comments today acknowledging President-elect Biden going to become president or Speaker Pelosi looking at the new reality of a shrunken Democratic majority in the House. How are the markets it, it, interpreting what Washington is going to look like on January 21st. Yeah, that's been a big theme this year for market watchers. And there's been, I think, the sense of just relief that we got through the election. That was a big looming uncertainty. Over I can relate. That- I can relate to the relief that the election's over. Go ahead, Claire. <laughs> I definitely can, too. I think everyone's sort of breathing a sigh of relief. And now investors sort of know what we're going to get. They know that we're going to have a Biden presidency. There's more certainty, and the market just loves that certainty, Um, especially we saw with Janet Yellen in the news about her role in the administration. You know, they know her. They know what to expect. Um, So I think overall the market is looking at what Washington is doing, at least – um, most recently, and is sort of cheering that sense of stability. Claire Ballantyne's on the line. She uh, is a Bloomberg Cross Asset reporter for us. She writes all about what happens in the market each day. She also went to Duke. Are you a Duke basketball fan? Oh, yes. I'm a huge Duke basketball fan. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I still <laughs> have a couple minutes left in this block. Oh. All right. Let's pivot back to the. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, you know, I, I, am I allowed to have an opinion on this? I'm not. I, 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 I am definitely not. That's 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 all I'm gonna say. Uh, okay, but back on the economic stimulus, just so I can save this segment from totally going off the rails. I'm not gonna pull a Bobby Knight and flip over the chair. But listen to what uh, uh, Jonathan Farrow, who spoke, our colleague Jonathan Farrow, who spoke with Larry Kudlow earlier today uh, about this this need for fiscal stimulus and really this this. Uh, this need for fiscal stimulus that the market is interpreting that Main Street is calling for, that so many, even in the Republican Party, I'm specifically thinking of Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama, who's come out and signaled he's got some support for this bipartisan deal that's making its way through the halls of Congress. Take a listen to Larry Kudlow's response to Jonathan Farrow earlier today. The president is in favor of a new assistance package. Okay, he is in favor of that. Um, But the details, the targeting that I discussed earlier is absolutely crucial. And as you know, Jonathan, the president has always opposed a large-scale appropriation for state and local governments that he, President Trump, believes have um, been mismanaged. So, I mean, you hear that framing coming from Larry Kudlow, even in the final weeks of the administration. And there is this more nuanced debate that emerged this week with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin testifying on Capitol Hill, Claire Ballantyne, Bloomberg Cross Asset reporter, where they're essentially saying they got to manage the money better. I, when I talk to aides to Senator Pat Toomey and whatnot, they agree. So there is this nuanced positioning that has emerged this week even more to the forefront of the conversation, Claire. Yeah, there definitely is. And it's um, it's something that investors are very closely attuned to, people who are watching the markets. I mean, you know as, as well as I do that what Washington does really impacts uh, investor sentiment. And to the people that I've talked with right now, their expectation is that there's going to be some kind of stimulus package pass. And they don't know when, they don't know how much, but the consensus is that it's, it's going to happen. And so I think... Um, 
you know, the market is sort of looking through some of this near-term discussion and focusing on the fact that they really do expect something to get passed. Um, but it is, it's very closely watched. By Claire, investors. what else is on your radar for next week as we spin this forward to next week? Claire, what are you watching for next week in the markets? I'm really interested right now in the rotation that we've been seeing in markets, and that's from, you know, the big tech that sort of led the way all this year into some of these more cyclical, more value, and more small-cap names. Um, I'm really watching to see if that's going to continue. Um, November was such a huge month for that kind of trend, and, you know, the question is uh, how much further it goes and if it continues. And So I'll, I'll be watching that very closely. Is Duke going to beat Illinois next week? Man, I hope so. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> okay, because now the IB, the Bloomberg IB sound on family chat is now attacking where my alma mater is, which is Penn State. And there's, I mean, we don't even have a, I mean, I don't want to get in trouble with the, never mind. But anyway, Claire Ballantyne, thank you so much for hanging out with us on a Friday and breaking down everything that went on in the markets. Uh, really been all over these stories for us, especially on the vaccination front and everything that's been going on. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast uh, at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I did go to Penn State. I am a proud Nittany Lion. You're listening. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio 2. Uh, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Jobs Day, disappointing Jobs Day, 6.7%. President-elect Joe Biden calls it, quote-unquote, grim. But will it spurn Speaker Pelosi and Leader McConnell into action on the fiscal stimulus front? We've got complete reaction. Uh, and analysis, applications for U.S. state unemployment benefits fell by the most in almost two months, offering some hope that the gradual recovery in the job market will continue despite a spike in COVID-19 infections and renewed business restrictions. The jobs number, jobs number, 6.7%. Uh, uh, President-elect Joe Biden called it grim. It was grim. It shows an economy that's stalling. And uh, remain in the midst of a we remain in the midst of one of the worst economic and job crises in modern history. My colleague Jonathan Farrows spoke with Larry Kudlow of the White House earlier today, who painted a different picture. It may have come in uh, a wee bit under expectations, but I don't know what that means. Six point seven percent unemployment rate is big news. The CBO and others didn't expect single digits until early 2021. So we got the single digits the last couple of months. Meanwhile, President-elect Joe Biden also saying that this should put pressure on Washington, D.C. to pass fiscal stimulus. 
If Congress and President Trump fail to act by the end of December, 12 million Americans will lose their unemployment benefits they rely on. Merry Christmas. Speaker Pelosi says that talks are moving in the right direction. We have to have an omnibus, and we're hoping that that will accelerate the discussions on the omnibus. We are going to keep government open. You know, we're not going to have a continuing resolution. We'll take the time we need, and we must get it done. And we must get it done by uh, this before we leave. We cannot leave without it. Despite what members of the White House are saying publicly regarding the jobs numbers, Republicans in elected office on Capitol Hill are painting a different picture. I was struck by the comments of Republican Tom Cole, a House member from Oklahoma, who said, quote, I think today's jobs numbers really help the relief effort. We may disagree about the specifics, but there is no doubt the economy needs help. Frank Masano is a partner at Bracewell's Policy Resolution Group. He is the former press secretary to several Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill, including Indiana Senator Richard Lugar and former Alaska Senator Mark Begich is a strategic consulting advisor at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber and Shrek. Frank, I'll start with you. When you talk to your Republican uh, friends, do they agree with Larry Kudlow or do they agree with Tom Cole that more relief is needed? Well, for the most part, I think it's pretty clear that more relief is needed. And I think most Republicans, especially those who um, uh, represent people around the country, know that that's the case. Um, I I think what we're going to see here, Kev, is uh, Congress actually coming to a conclusion on not only keeping the government open, but at the same time figuring out ways that they can help uh, uh, people um, in the range of uh, dollars that were part of this bipartisan discussion the other day, that's enough to get this through the the winter months here and into into the new uh, the new uh, administration. And I think that's when the new Congress and the new administration will start working on next steps and whatever that will entail. Senator Begich, I mean, Speaker Pelosi's talking about an omnibus, aka a vehicle, to get some type of fiscal stimulus done. I mean, just talk us through the process. When do you think we could actually see there being uh, fiscal stimulus? Are we talking a week? Are we talking two weeks? December 11th for the CR? December 11th is next week. Go ahead, Senator. So you can pretty much guarantee before Christmas because they don't want to be there on Christmas Day. I've been there on Christmas Eve, and no one wants that. You get honorary. See this? Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt because this is so incredibly fascinating. And I've I, I've said this multiple times on Bloomberg Television, on Bloomberg Surveillance, but also on this program. Senator, walk us through the the psychology of this because and no and I and I and do it I I, I know it, it is with humor but it's actually very real about how plane no, tickets real. plane tickets are really what drive people to get to compromise. Explain this to me. Well, you know, it's actually the joke was always if you can get aviation fuel smell into the ventilation system (laughs) of the uh, capital, people would be leaving there in droves because that's the sign the plane is leaving. Um, You know, it, it is... It is an amazing thing around this season. You know, we're talking about the omnibus bill. It's going to pass, just like the National Defense Authorization Bill. Everyone goes, oh, is that going to pass? It's going to pass. And more importantly, if you would have asked, and I think you did last time we were on, do you think a stimulus bill is going to happen before the end of the year? We were very pessimistic about it. Today, you know, what happened was what I predicted last week on a call I was on. I said, people are going to go back for Thanksgiving. They're going to get their head kicked in by constituents, and then they're going to come back and go, oh, my gosh, I think we should do a stimulus bill. And suddenly you see this motivation that's pretty high, and you can tell there's mobility because Mitch McConnell is not saying negative. He's just kind of being neutral right now. He's trying to see how many of his members saddle up to this idea. But I do think you know, the holiday season, not, not Thanksgiving, but right now, the end of the year, People are highly motivated between now and Christmas, and I think between now and the 18th. The rumor is on Monday the bill will be dropped uh, in more detail in the sense of what the the two sides are talking about behind the scenes. The Biden folks have clearly indicated get this thing done, and the Trump people are saying the same thing about stimulus. So I think everyone's now highly motivated, probably a trillion dollars, give or take a few hundred billion there. Uh, But it is this odd duck at the end of the year 
that I know people call it lame duck. I call it odd duck. At the end of the year, <laughs> that people suddenly realize, oh my gosh, we have to actually do the work we were sent here to do, or we will be in trouble. And so that's what's going on. The other thing that's unique about this, it happens every four years, is they want to clear the deck for the new incoming yep. person. And that's what's partially going on, too. So you're going well, to see some bills fly through that were not on anybody's radar screen. And Congressman Schweikert was on yesterday, and he said it's also Speaker Pelosi who's looking at her shrinking majority in the next Congress. You know, and so that's the right. centrists, the centrists have a little bit more political capital to kick around. Uh, and and you know, Frank Masano, I mean, you hear Senator Begich and what he's saying right there. You know, I'm looking at the list of Republicans who are, are coming out with positive comments on this, and I've only got 30 seconds to ask you this question. It's Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, yeah. Susan Collins. I mean, the, yeah, hey, go look, ahead. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that every one of those guys. Look, I think we cleared the election, right? There was consternation and partisanship before the election. Once we cleared that election, I think the chances and, and the pressure that Senator Begich is talking about, those two things combined to give uh, folks the opportunity to come back to the table and do something. Um, and they can do it smaller because they can just get over that bridge. And I think that's what we're talking about. And that's why it's going to happen. And I think Senator Begich is right. There's going to be additional stuff in there, like an innovation bill, like the HFC legislation. Yeah. Um, some of those things are going to make get in there and we'll see if they pass uh, for sure all right panel stays great discussion to kick things off uh you know what i always say senator Begich, if it walks like a deal quacks like a deal talks like a deal they got a deal i'm kevin cirilli chief washington correspondent and the lame duck the odd duck you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Uh, we're talking about the positive developments on the fiscal stimulus front. And we, we mentioned earlier the Republicans who have come out and spoken really in favor of this $908 billion dollars. Worth of fiscal stimulus, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Richard Shelby, Rob Portman. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. John Thune. John Thune praising the Democrats for moving down from $2.4 trillion just the other week. It was just the other week the Democrats were at $2.4 trillion for fiscal stimulus. They sliced it, diced it, got it down to $908 billion. What's in it? A couple hundred billion for state and local governments, not as much as the Democrats had wanted. Some more funding for there to be uh, for schools uh, and education uh, and some more lending liquidity uh, allocations for for Main Street and other small businesses as well. Uh, The vaccination front, it's looking like we all could get a vaccine sometime within the third quarter of next calendar year. So I say all this because some have spoken out against this compromise. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Senator Bernard Sanders, independent of Vermont, Bernie Sanders. I'm not being glib. Uh, Frank Masano is with us, a Republican insider, former Alaska Senator Mark Begich. Uh, of course, a Democrat of Alaska. Now he's a Brownstein hired farmer in Shrek. Senator Begich, you know, I got to ask you, I look at the list of folks who have come out against this. They're saying it's not enough money. AOC, Democratic Socialist. Bernie Sanders, Democratic Socialist. What gives? Well, I think you said it in your description, and all due respect to them, um, they would spend as much money as they could get their hands on. And the reality is we have a balancing act here, and that is you've got to make sure that you, know, you get stimulus in the uh, hands of Americans as quickly as possible. But you're going to be, you know, honestly, you're going to be back at this in first quarter. Uh, I think there is no question there's going to be have to be. I know the Biden administration is focused on it as an investment into large infrastructure, redevelopment and projects. But you're going to have people of the hard left of the Democratic Party that are going to want more. And uh, I think that's the that's their issue. But at the end of the day, uh, something is better than nothing, and right now there's nothing. And if you talk to small shop owners especially, they're feeling the pinch. And some of these stores, retailers, or restaurants and businesses won't be in business after the first year. I mean, they just cannot 
survive. And uh, as you said, the virus, uh, the vaccine is coming around the corner, but, you know, it may not be enough, you know, in, in time. Uh, so those folks are going to be complaining all the way to the end. Will they vote for it? I hope so, because they should be voting for something rather than nothing. Well, you know, you look at Pfizer, you look at Moderna, you look at AstraZeneca. I mean, it really is looking like all systems could be a go in terms of getting it into the market, if not by the end of, of this calendar year, in the next couple of weeks, definitely in January or February. And that just has renewed the sense of optimism. But one of the things that I don't think we've spent enough time talking about in the media is whether or not the supply chains, uh, uh, Frank, are ready for this. You know, front page of the Wall Street Journal today about whether or not there's enough dry ice, if there's going to be a dry ice shortage because of all of the dry ice that is going to be needed for there to be in the supply chains for the vaccines. We talk about the shots. We talk about the equipment that goes into a shot. I mean, there's going to be such strong demand for this. You know, maybe that needs to be part of the conversation up on Capitol Hill is what can policymakers be doing? What can Operation Warp Speed be doing in order to make sure that once there is a vaccine, in the supply chain that everybody's ready for, Frank. Well, and I think that's part of it, too. There's two aspects to this. One, there's always going to be glitches when you're doing things that you don't, and you have things that you don't know that you don't know, right? And we can work through a lot of these things, and um, we'll be able to do that. In fact, you know, on the dry ice side, uh, there are lots of manufacturers in the U.S. who have been doing dry ice for medical purposes for a long time, and they, I can tell you already, are preparing for those opportunities to make sure that they have plenty of supply and things like that. On the other on the other hand, you know, we're also in a stage where we have to get people to be willing to take uh, the vaccines too. And I think the presidents, uh, the, the the living presidents, coming out the other day and saying they would be first in line to get the vaccines to show confidence, even with President Trump saying he would take the vaccine. So I think those are important things too to get that other aspect of it, which is getting people to be willing to accept that they ought to take the vaccine uh, as well. Those are two huge different and those are huge factors and both different factors that are going to have to be dealt with along the way, not just getting it ready, but having all these other pieces lined up as well. Yeah, that's such a good point. And earlier today, President-elect Joe Biden said that he would ask all Americans to wear a mask to prevent the spread of the coronavirus for the first 100 days of his administration, as well as issue a, quote, standing order, end quote, requiring face coverings in federal buildings and interstate transportation. And then in an interview with CNN earlier today, Biden also said that he had spoken with Dr. Anthony Fauci and he'd asked him to stay on as the government's top infectious disease expert. Fauci has said publicly that he would actual that he would absolutely do that. And he is, of course, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Senator Begich, you know, Frank makes a really good point there. It's going to be up to, to some prominent, trusted national voices like Dr. Fauci to convince people to get the vaccine. I'm getting mine. That's right. Absolutely. I'll, yeah. I'll cut. I'm not going to cut in line. I'm being I'm being glib and I shouldn't be. But I definitely want to get the vaccine. That's all I'm going to say. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think I think it's great that the three three former presidents have stepped to the to the plate. I know when you look at stores like Walgreens and CVS, they're getting prepared to be kind of a center of distribution. But the other piece that I think is important is it's great to get people like Fauci and others, but you know, we got to get to the groups that don't or are hesitant or don't wear a mask and do all that. These younger people, we got to get some of the folks, and I hate to say this, but from the mainstream kind of music world, entertainment world, and others that young people connect with that do it also. Because we have to show that this is not just a bunch of politicians or policymakers getting these, but there's a bunch of other people who don't look to them necessarily as the the voice that they're looking toward. But if they see, you know, their own, uh, you know, uh, folks that they're relating to within the entertainment or sports world or whatever it might be, we got to have kind of a comprehensive because there is, you know, just a flu vaccine, for example, in Alaska, only 55% of the people take it that are over 65, the highest risk as an example. And that is crazy when that's been around and easy access so this mm. one yeah you want you want to get it up there 85 90 percent it'd be great to get 100 percent. it's got to be a national campaign a bipartisan nonpartisan american campaign that interview with cnn by the way was yesterday i stand corrected biden spoke to cnn yesterday the the, the interview that i just referenced much more coming up next i'm kevin cirilli you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Much more coming up next, including what is on the panel's radar. But first, we do this as we head on down to Georgia. Georgia, where, of course, the January 5th runoff election has captivated an otherwise usually boring, dull, lame duck session for the political consulting and strategic crowd. But it was marred with tragedy as a... Uh, as a as a campaign staffer to Senator Kelly Leffler passed away. Uh, Fox News reports that a young member of Senator Kelly Leffler's campaign staff died in a car wreck. And as a result of that, she will not be attending President Trump's campaign rally tomorrow. A young field staffer working on Senator Kelly Leffler's campaign has died in a car crash. Leffler identified the victim as Harrison Deal in a statement on Friday He also had ties to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and Senator David Perdue. My heart aches for his family, and Jeff and I will continue to surround them in love and prayer in the days ahead, Leffler said in a statement. Harrison was a beloved member of our campaign team. More importantly, Harrison was a smart, bright, loving, loyal, and outstanding young man, end quote. Uh, You know, I I, I say this from here in Washington, D.C., and outside of the nation's capital, maybe it's Maybe it's sometimes it, I don't know, but so many young people work on campaigns, volunteers and young people talking fresh out of college. Maybe they're still in college, but definitely under the age of 35 and you're, you're, you're driving around, you're going from place to place, you're sleep deprived, you're, you're, you know, eating the campaign diet, which is not healthy. And anytime a tragedy like this happens, I can tell you this. Being here in Washington, D.C. for the past decade, it grips the young person's mind. It also grips their, there's a respect, I think, that even still exists in Washington, D.C. amongst Republicans and Democrats uh, because there's a a shared experience uh, that still exists uh, on this campaign cycle grind. Uh, so I will also extend my condolences uh, to to Harrison's family uh, as well. Frank Masano is with me. He is a partner at Bracewell's Policy Resolution Group, former press secretary to several Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill, including Indiana Senator Richard Lugar and former Alaska Senator Mark Begich is a strategic consulting advisor at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber and Shrek. You know, Senator, I got to I got to be candid here. You, you hear sort of the a story like that and it it. It really stops you. It really makes you pause, especially in a month like this and a year like this, Senator. No, it does. And, and sadly, for what you just described, a lot of these, you know, 90% of these workers are, like you said, under 30, 35. They're very young, a lot ahead of them, a lot of opportunity. And they're just working, you know, their hearts out for the cause or the person they're supporting. And when a tragedy like this occurs, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle or what campaign you're on, you you feel for it because it it could have happened to any of your campaign workers. And so you think about that, you know, a a great deal. So, no, I, you know, it's a it's sad um, in a pretty heated campaign down there. And maybe, you know, people can take a pause and just think about the bigger picture of life and not be so 
negative and attacking all the time. But this is, you know, it is one of those things you, you do think about. And, you know, the campaign workers in a state like ours, you know, they're spread all over the state. And, you know, things can happen. And, you know, so our hearts do go out to any campaign worker that yeah. ends up in a tragedy. Well, and, you know, Kev, all ahead, of Frank. us have been on that road, right? I mean, I, I did. Yep. Uh, I'm, 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 you know, way past that in age now. But you know that the, I still remember running around Northeast Wisconsin uh, like it was yesterday because of the shared experience that you had out there with people, uh, meeting people, getting to to talk about the things that were important to them, and sharing, you know, the the the, the members that you worked for, their vision for for what it meant to those people. So. You know, that's a really important part. And, you know, no matter where you are, Wisconsin, Alaska, Georgia, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of that that uh, we need to remember. And, you know, the other thing that hits me is, you know, you know, because you've, you've been to my class before, but I teach a lot of these kids at, uh, at GW, and I've done that for the last 10 years. And, you know, all of these kids um, who are in my classes, they go and, and they do that stuff. They're yep. volunteers, and they're, some of them are in school. Some of them are just out of school. Some of them are working on Capitol Hill and are going back on the campaign trail. And, you know, you just you, you, they all have a bright future. They all have uh, the excitement in their eyes. And, um, you know, you just hate to hear something like that. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Both of you. Um, so I want to play for you what former President Barack Obama had to say about the, the state of affairs uh, in the Georgia runoff. Here, here's former President Barack Obama talking about Georgia because it is a, it has garnered so much attention. These runoff elections. If the Senate is controlled by Republicans who are interested in obstruction and gridlock rather than progress and helping people, they can block just about anything. And then you've got Senator David Perdue, Republican of Georgia, running for re-election. Here he is. It's a simple choice between headed down the road to socialism or to keep our freedom. Freedom. Senator Begich, I mean, how, how tough is it to mobilize Democrats to show up in a state that, yes, voted for Joe Biden in 2020, but hadn't done so since 1992? And quite honestly, where uh, democratic socialism is not really taking hold. Yeah, and I would say, you know, in all due respect to the senator that just spoke about uh, democratic socialism, this is the kind of the new right. This is kind of the new phrase that they love to use, you know, I'm not a socialist, I'm a Democrat, but I'm a capitalist Democrat. Let me make that very clear. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, and, but I would say this, that um, Georgia, and it, it was that I said this before, I think, on your show, that I had picked Georgia early in late spring as a wild card state and that I felt Biden could win it because it was trending. And the, the folks down there, Stacey Abrams, is a master of getting votes out. She has figured out the rhythm of uh, getting votes out in hard-fought counties. And I think her team is working double time out there. The, key, the problem always is in a runoff, as you know, uh, turnout decreases because people just lose enthusiasm. The question will be, will the President Trump folks, who are very enthusiastic about him on the ballot, come back out? Will the folks who got excited about the general sense of the election on the Democratic side get out and vote? But what's interesting is, Georgia voters, I believe, got out because uh, they saw an opportunity, and the folks that were organizing them, the Stacey Abrams and others, did a hell of a job. And I think they're in they're in full gear. The thing that's going to be out, outrageous is how much money will be spent there between now and January fifth. Frank, answer it's answer gonna, some of that. Go ahead, Frank. Well, so you know, for for me, this you know, on on Democrats' best day in Georgia. With Biden winning by a couple thousand votes, ten thousand maybe, right? They still were two and a half percentage points behind Purdue, and even way more behind the combination of Collins and Leffler. So it's an uphill climb for Democrats here. No, I think the senator makes a great point. You know, where's the enthusiasm on both sides? Right? Democrats have kind of had that enthusiasm to get rid of Trump, and some of that may be lost. And, you know, I think part of the reason you've seen Republicans walk with a very fine line here in dealing with the president and his 
uh, his disappointment with losing. Let's just put those those words on it. Um, uh, you've you've seen them kind of treat him with kid gloves because they don't want him to put at risk, um, you know, that Trump vote that's going to turn out in in Georgia. I think one of the things that you're hearing, the reason you're hearing people talk about democratic socialists and things like that, is because you have. A couple of guys whose records are not very clear, right? And and, and Warnock and Ossoff, both of uh, Ossoff is very young. He's run a couple of races. Warnock has, you know, uh, uh, has uh, said some things that that won't go over that well. I'm certain that those things are going to come out. So the, the Republicans are trying to define them as much as they can because they're not defined. Whereas Loeffler and uh, and Purdue are pretty well known. So I think that's a factor. And we'll have to see how that plays out in the end. But, uh, you know, the numbers are, are not great for Democrats here that make it an uphill climb. Yeah. And we'll see if they can overcome it. Yeah, and I, All right, panel I stays. Panel yeah. stays. Coming up next, what's on their radar? I'm Kevin Cerulli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Frank Masano is with us. Mark Begich is with us. Senator, how's, uh, how's Alaska been handling COVID-19? What's, the, what's, the, what's going on up there? We've had increases, pretty significant ones, record days. Uh, the mayor of the largest city here just uh, did a hunker down for 30 days, which has caused some stress on you know retailers at the moment of holiday, 25% uh, occupancy levels only, no dining in, some other things. So, you know, a little, it's definitely stressful, and some of our more remote communities are, you know, once there's a, uh, you know, an active case there, it spreads fairly quickly because it's an enclosed community. So we have some challenges there, but the good news is we have some great medical folks here and great hospital facilities. So we're, we're you know, we feel good, but, you know, it's, I think people are anxious, you know, get us the vaccine, <laughs> you know, kind of right. attitude. Uh, but, but, you know, it's tough. It's tough and hurt the, it's hard on the economy here because we've been hit multiple ways through oil and gas. COVID, and tourism, three big how have, parts of our How economy. have Alaskans who live in more rural but very isolated parts of the state, have they been impacted by COVID-19? And if so, how have they been able to get resources, uh, medical, economic resources? Um, I think that, yeah. How are they? Yeah, yeah. Over, yeah, over half of our communities, you can't get there unless you fly to them. So wow. it's very difficult. Uh, Barrow, which is a population up north on the North Arctic, is you know, 7,000 people. You only get there by plane. And, uh, you know, they had a big number today, I heard, on COVID cases. Because once it spreads, it's, it's fairly quickly because the culture is a lot of gathering that people do together, a lot of families together. And so it's tough. I mean, it's so we have good, you know, we have some good airlines that fly into these areas and will do it as necessary. And but it's, you know, we have some good remote, uh, some of the best Indian Health Service hospitals uh, run by tribal governments here in Alaska, a very unique program, some of the best in the country, to say the least. And so that has been very helpful. But it's it's tough because you can't get in there other than a plane. And if the weather is bad, you good luck. I mean, we had someone just two days ago die in a village because they couldn't get out. They had COVID. They could oh, not wow. get out because the weather would not allow a plane to come and get them. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you so think it's, about all of it's the, a real deal. Yeah, you think about all the challenges that cities are facing, and I don't think we've done enough in the media to talk about uh, the challenges that, that very hard-to-reach communities are also. It's yep. just, it's, and, and you yep. know what they all have in common? Low socioeconomic um, in, in common, and so it's it's very very absolutely. Tough. Yeah, we really we've really hit a, a trouble spot here 
across the board, not just rural Alaska, not just D.C. and New York and cities, California. I mean, look, it's it's broad and it's everywhere, and everyone's feeling it. And you know, I feel sorry for the businesses that you know the restaurant owners who who you know thought they had made it through the worst of it. And you know, that's just more reason why we need to get you know some more help on the way as quickly as possible through uh, through getting together and doing something uh, in Congress. Yeah. All right. Time Definitely. now for what's on the panel radar. Frank Masano, what's on your radar? Well, you know, a couple things are on my radar. One, um, watching closely what happens in Congress here that is outside of the budget bill and the COVID package. And what will it entail? And there are two major pieces of energy legislation that, as you know, I watch that are in there that can be really a, a key foundation for what we may see in a in a divided congress next year um, and that is an uh, an energy innovation uh, legislation that is a big big bill 600 plus pages or so that talks about ccs and nuclear and other things um, and 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 lots of efficiency um, that and 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 not just r&d it's actually projects so um, that's something that's likely to to be in there maybe and then um, also watching a big huge climate victory um, that Republicans and Democrats and industry and environmentalists are working on together in phasing down HFCs and that's another thing that's ready to go and could be passed and so hopefully those things will be passed they'll set a foundation for what uh, success can be in uh, in Biden working with a Republican Senate and uh, a, a moderate House, and um, uh, you know that's really what's uh, one of the big things that I'm watching right now. Yeah, you know it's it's going to be really interesting, and just to see what other pieces of legislation are able to to, to move through uh, as well. Um, I, I do want to note that uh, just a headline that crossed the Bloomberg first word terminal. Uh, alert that just came through is Betsy DeVos has extended student loan forbearance until January 31st, citing Politico. Again, Betsy DeVos has extended student loan forbearance until January 31st. And hopefully that applies first. to those Parent PLUS loans too, Kev, because you know yeah. Wellesley is really expensive. <laughs> I, I, I want to say things, but I've been so good. I've gotten through such a contentious 2020 well, without, I don't want to jinx gra- myself. My daughter's graduated and she has a job finally, but you know, I still have parent plus loans. So well, I, I'm just going to keep on being stoic and not saying the jokes that I want to make because it's Friday and I made it this far. Senator, what is on your radar? Well, I just was going to say I'm a, I have a freshman in Georgetown, so I feel the pain. Yeah. Uh, but let me uh, let me. Uh, hey, say Senator, two when you come Maybe. back, we'll go to we'll go to Dog Tag Bakery, or we'll, or, or we'll go to the tombs. Go ahead, Senator. I'm, I'm game. I'm game. All right, so, you heard it, uh, Washington. You heard, heard it, it. Uh, Senator Mark Beggin just headed to the tombs. Go ahead. I'm there. So <laughs> the first thing I want to say, what's on my radar screen, is I got to make sure I listen carefully to what my wife says and what she's hinting <laughs> for for a holiday season gift. Oh, this is you know, so what are you going to get? Very careful. Well, actually, I'll tell you because I know we'll be we'll be private about this. Yes, uh, she kept, just between uh, us. She had some fine wine she tasted recently at some wine thing, and <laughs> so uh, thing. I bought the case of it. And she doesn't know that yet, so don't tell anyone. Any of your I listeners, tell. don't I tell won't. anybody. Where's the wine uh, from? I, what kind of wine? Uh, you know, I'm not a big wine drinker. But Neither I am I. <laughs> it's, it's, it was from California. I just got it delivered today, and uh, I... You know, they asked me about the shipping costs because, you know, Alaska somehow is a foreign country. But I said, <laughs> at the price I'm paying for this wine, it's irrelevant, the shipping costs. So just that. So, um, besides <laughs> wine, what's on your radar? This Christine Barat is cringing right now. Go ahead, R.E.P. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> So the other things on my radar screen, uh, one, I really, the stainless bill is on my radar screen. I think, you know, these guys will be idiots if they do not pass something that's meaningful and has impact to the economy in a positive way, especially for the small retailer, small restaurant, the, the, the guys that are feeling the pinch every day. That's on my radar screen every minute, every day to watch and cajole mm-hmm. some of my former colleagues to do the right thing. The other thing that's on my radar screen for the beginning of next year is I'm anxious uh, Trump talked about it for four years, uh, and now Biden's been talking about it during the campaign, is who's going to do the real infrastructure bill that actually rebuilds this country? You know, that is something, if designed right, both Democrats and Republicans can get behind, the business community can get behind it, labor can get behind it, and it will really create meaningful jobs. But one thing I learned when I was mayor 
If you build the public infrastructure, you create the foundation for larger private sector investment. And that's what I'm hoping for and not get caught up in, you know, uh, what I would call kind of legislation that is more politics than meaningful. And I hope they focus truly on an infrastructure bill that helps rebuild this country the right way. And we can put jobs that are meaningful, well-paying jobs on the table. And for the private sector, they'll see a commitment by the federal government and others that they're going to invest in infrastructure to rebuild this economy. Here's what's on my radar, and this is not deep, so I apologize because I feel like we we, we had some ethos in this block. Uh, Avocados. Avocados avocados are the pandemic-proof crop and lockdown health craze. Health-conscious consumers are eating avocados like never before during the pandemic. Uh, Through the roof. Consumption for avocados jumped 12% this year to a record 1.48 billion with a B pounds, according to import data. That does it for me. Thanks to the panel, Frank. Thank you, Senator. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.